This is Alicia, and welcome to the College Life Podcast. I am super passionate about education, personal development, growth, and bringing out the best in every college student. This podcast will help motivate you, empower you, and bring you clarity and confidence in who you are, in your purpose, and help you take action toward a life you love. Don't wait until you graduate to live your best life. Let's start now. Welcome to the College Life Podcast. It's Alicia here, and I'm really excited about this interview. I interview president and CEO of Semester at Sea, Scott Marshall. And in this episode, we talk about Semester at Sea, and we really just talk about the value of studying abroad and experiencing different cultures and learning about different perspectives on life. And you're going to really enjoy this episode. So let's go ahead and dive in. Welcome to the College Life Podcast. It's Alicia here. And today I am interviewing Scott Marshall, who is president and CEO of Semester at Sea, which is a ship-based multi-country study abroad program that's affiliated with Colorado State University. We're going to dive much deeper into that uh, particular opportunity. But first, Scott, we would love to just get to know you a little bit more, who you are, and um, a little bit about your own college journey. So what was college like for you and who are you? Thanks for asking, Alicia, and thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate the conversations that you've had with students and other folks in higher ed and really look forward to this opportunity. So I went to a small private college, and if you saw that on my resume, you could assume some things that simply aren't true. You could assume that I had a great plan in terms of my where I would go and for what reason. You could assume that I came from some wealth, which I didn't. Um, You could assume that I came from some uh, strong, strong academic record, uh, which I didn't. So I I say that because I think it's important for everybody to realize wherever they're at in life, they do have an opportunity to go into college and be successful and Even if your family doesn't have resources, even if you don't know what kind of university is going to be right for you, the opportunity can present itself. So I went to Willamette University, a small private institution in Salem, Oregon, and I was a Pell Grant student. Uh, There were no contributions from my family during that four years. I left with a fair amount of debt Mm -hmm. uh, in equivalent dollars. For today, that amount would exceed the average that people carry now. And I had a phenomenal experience and I would not give it up for anything. I did study abroad for a semester. And there's a couple of things that are unique about that. First of all, again, I was what is classified as an access student. And I just knew that that had to be part of my experience. I'm not sure why, Hmm. but I did that I needed to do that and scraped and clawed and took out some additional debt and made it happen. And that absolutely set me on the course for the career that I have now lived. Studied abroad for three and a half months in Japan. Again, an extraordinary experience. Uh, Was also studying the Japanese language. That led me then to go teach English right after undergraduate for a year. 
and so on and so forth. So um, again, it's been an amazing ride, not well planned, but rich and fortunate. Um, and I, I just would love to explore why every student should find a way to do the things that are important to them and look beyond today in their college experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that, that beyond today that really stood out to me. Like that's, there's something interesting about that because it's sometimes hard to do that when you're in college and others times, I think a lot of the students that I work with now, it's all they can think about is what's next. And then they can't focus on what's in the moment either. Right. It's how do we have some of some, some of both, um, backgrounds for sure. Absolutely. And life is busy, right? Mm -hmm. Life is really busy. If you have a four co full course load, Maybe you're part of a club, Greek system, sports, have a part-time job. It's hard to think beyond today. And yet it's essential that we take some time and do that and, and plan the next year of school and the next year of school and start to dream big about what that whole experience should be for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for listeners right now, I want you to take a second and think about what do you think Scott's major was? And then I want you to share. And it's interesting that you didn't share that whenever you were talking about your college journey. So I just want to like, yeah, take a second. What do you think it is? Okay, Scott, what was it? What was your college it major? Was, <laughs> it was business economics. Okay. Which at the time was a very practical decision. Mm. This was career oriented. And I think it was a good decision. Uh, at, at the liberal arts institution, you kind of kind of put business before economics, but really it's an economics degree and really it's a liberal arts degree. So it's still very well founded in the liberal arts, but I felt like it would be the most practical one. I don't regret at all that decision, but I do see now in reflection that any major in the humanities, uh, anthropology, sociology, psychology, you know, a, a language can lead to a wonderful career. It's how people end up thinking, how well do they end up mm. thinking that matters the most. Yeah. And I also find too, it's like what you do after college too. It's like that lifelong learning. What are you hungry about? What do you crave? Because you can learn those things additionally after college. So like using it as a foundation point. Um, not a checkbox and then moving on. And now I'm just going to kind of be in this job or career. It's so yeah. interesting. Absolutely. I think people really want to, want to embrace the idea that college is an opportunity to grow one's mind and habits of mind. So mm -hmm. I differentiate the two. Mind is really the knowledge, the experience, and habit of mind is how you think what you think and why you think. Uh, and so they don't, no one needs to use those terms, mind and habit of mind. But I think the essence of it is clear is how do we challenge how we think? Mm -hmm. What topics can challenge me in terms of my mindset and why I think the way that I do? And I certainly now in a fairly long professional career can reflect on the value of that in my own life and see it in others when they've challenged the way they think and how that makes them ultimately better thinkers. Mm -hmm. So important for today's world too, and the future of where we're headed. Um, awesome. Well, I want to um, kind of zone into what you were talking about when you were talking about like study abroad. And you said, I knew I needed to do that. You were like, I didn't know why. 
or really, you know, nobody was probably telling you, you know, you have to do this thing. You kind of felt drawn to it. Um, I, yeah, I'm just curious about that a little bit more. Yeah. And again, it's a somewhat of a interesting story in that I grew up almost my entire childhood, childhood in a very small town on a very small farm. And so I didn't have great international exposure. Mm-hmm. There was a short period of time when we had an exchange student at our house from Japan. And so there was a little nugget of, right. huh, this is interesting, right? But that was years before college. And then once I got into college, at that time, many, many years ago, Japan was prominent on the international stage. So I started taking the Japanese language and got to know friends that were studying the language. And some of them were signing up for this. And it was going to be a big step for me because I didn't even have a passport when I entered college. And I certainly then had not traveled significantly overseas, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just knew that I had to see something other than the small town and the small university. I I had to challenge myself. And this seemed like the right way. In in hindsight, it was, but (laughs) I couldn't have been assured in going into it, right? And that's also certainly something I encourage all college students to think about is how do I take just that risk, that risk, and have the courage to challenge myself in a very unique way. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't always have to be overseas, but they can be uh, an internship or an experience learning exercise or a volunteer opportunity, whatever it might be, challenge yourself, take that little risk. Uh, That's where the real reward will come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even just the way you described it, you know, you felt, you felt like so drawn to it that you needed to do it. Um, And you're like, you don't even understand why, but it's, it feels risky. It feels really scary, but also, you know, you need to, anytime I followed that inner voice and like in college, outside of college, anytime I trust it, it always pays off. It always is like, yeah, <laughs> I, I know I needed to do this. And it, 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 there, there was reason why, even if I couldn't name that reason, whenever the opportunity presented itself or whatever it was. So I yeah. oh, just love that. <laughs> yeah. I know you explore this a lot with your guests around finding that inner voice and a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. I just want to reinforce you're absolutely right that that's what people really need to be willing to do what what is that inner voice telling them uh what's their calling um because there's very few regrets if someone follows that inner voice Mm -hmm. yeah so good well um i want to dive into really semester at sea let's talk a little bit more about what the heck is this thing um and just more in detail and then um, how students can get connected to it what they can learn from it but first off what is semester at sea So if you don't mind, I'd like to preface a conversation about Semester at Sea, which I can talk about in depth for a long time, but by just talking about study abroad, Mm -hmm. I am a deep, deep believer in study abroad. And I think you ran a survey and people look back on their college career and what did they wish they did in the highest (laughs) was study abroad. Here's some evidence that should show that universities and students should be almost like requiring it, but certainly enabling it to the highest degree. Mm -hmm. There's broad 
surveys, University of Georgia system, University of Minnesota system that show retention rates and graduation rates go up significantly better when people have studied abroad. And in the university lens, what that means is if, if retention can go up 15, 20, 25% as a consequence of someone studying abroad, then they should be financially supporting that because in their own budget models, this is going to prove out to be a win. Right. Right. And for those students who are thinking, wow, this seems expensive. I'm not sure if they can practically head, wrap their head around. This is going to be where I really explore myself and what my purpose is. And that will just drive me towards getting a degree completed and move on. We've seen it and the, and the data shows it. So I really want to encourage every student to really look hard at the opportunity to study abroad. Mm -hmm. So semester C, first of all, I didn't know about it until about five years ago. So it, it's a program that's been around since 1963. Exactly. Wow. A long time. And yet we still are working on spreading the brand, mm -hmm. making people aware of this amazing opportunity. And we will do that work every day, as long as we can to make sure everybody's aware of this opportunity. And I became aware of it through a listserv when I was at a different university, came across looking, that listserv mentioned a position available on a semester at sea voyage, and it happened to be in my area. So I forwarded it to my wife, said, do you think I should apply? She said, yes. Long story short, we sailed in the spring 2017 voyage. I was a faculty member. My wife and two boys came along. And it's at that point in time that I realized this is the premium optimal type of study abroad. I encourage anybody to do any study abroad that they can, but in terms of what we're looking for in today's generation of workers, of, of thinkers, to me, this program is the best preparation. Now, why is that? Well, there's a lot of ways I can describe it. One is simply that everybody who sailed says that was the most transformative, impactful experience I've ever had. I meet with alumni who sailed 50 years ago, 20 years ago, five years ago, they all say the same thing. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it, like, wow. But there's another angle to it. And that is, what are we seeing in terms of how people think before and after? What is the impact of this experience? So what is semester C? The ship is the campus and we take students to eight to 10 countries over a 105 day voyage, okay? So they get on the ship, they're with a community of students and faculty and staff, as well as the crew and the officers, and they set sail. They go to one, they, they get oriented, they get ready, they start taking their classes, and then they approach the new port. We tell them about this port, they go and they experience it, they come back, they reflect, they think, they have conversations. And that already has tested how they think about the world. Now imagine doing that eight to 10 times over 105 days where your mind becomes fundamentally transformed in how you look at the world. Because mm -hmm. what you thought was true before you embarked simply will not be the case when you disembark at the end of that voyage. And there's a term for this, it's called cognitive flexibility. It's an executive function in the brain that allows 
an individual high in cognitive flexibility to test and retest their own mental model, to be open to alternative ways of thinking and doing. And what is more important in today's world than the ability to test and retest the way you view the world? That is the essence of a lifelong learner, but it is also the essence of what we need in the workforce now is mm -hmm. someone who just really doesn't take everything for given, can really understand their own biases, can understand the biases of others, will be open to mindset shift. And that's at the core of this idea of cognitive flexibility. And I truly believe that that's what happens for these 18 to 23 year olds that are on our voyage. Mm -hmm. The last thing I would say about what I think is so important about this is we see over and over that empathy goes from some baseline to a much higher level as a consequence. And what do we need more in this world <laughs> beyond cognitive flexibility is empathy to really understand the other. Mm -hmm. That perspective could really change the divisiveness, the, the exclusiveness that characterizes much of the conversation, not just nationally, but internationally. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so I said a lot there, but hopefully that, that explains enough about why I believe in it so deeply. Yeah. And you can tell that it's not just something, it's not just a job for you. This is like a belief in, in, in you. And that's the difference too, I think of really connecting like something that's deep inside you with your work right? Because it becomes less of a, oh, like, go try this thing. It's really cool. This is what you're going to learn, right? It doesn't feel like that. It feels like something that is so much deeper in you because you actually believe it. And because you've lived it, you've experienced it, you've seen other people experience it, right? And it just, it becomes so much more meaningful. What other benefits um, have you seen from students who have uh, experienced a study abroad or um, specifically semester at sea? So study abroad and then semester C. So first of all, just in terms of any kind of study abroad, it's clarifying. Mm -hmm. So it's clarifying in a number of ways, maybe one more than the other, depending on where someone's at in life and their, their studies. It could be clarifying around disciplinary interest, right? I went on to study abroad. I visited an NGO and a business and I went and talked to a bunch of colleagues and man, I thought it was gonna be a marketing major, but now really sociology is what I wanna study. Clarifying in that sense. It can also be clarifying around how they want to work with others, how effectively, what, what is effective collaboration, teamwork, cross-cultural interaction, what does that really mean? And they can bring that back whether they end up working internationally or not, it clarifies the challenges that exist. And people start to inquire more about how they overcome those challenges. Mm -hmm. So there's just this potential for study abroad itself to be that kind of clarifying. Uh, the last thing I think it can clarify is that we all have courage in us. Mm -hmm. So if someone takes a risk, they go on a study abroad, they come back and they're like, I am courageous. I am someone who can take on a risk and succeed. That is empowering, like nothing else, right? Mm -hmm. If you take that kind of risk and you succeed at it. Semester C, obviously uh, its own unique model in that ship-based campus, eight to 10 countries, 
500 to 600 student voyagers, 25 to 27 faculty members, an equivalent number of staff. The power there, first of all, is actually the ship-based community. So we spend half the, half the time on the ship and half the time in countries, which means the ship is the first and the last port, and it is a closed community. It's extraordinarily safe. It's supportive. And what we've seen over and over is that students say, the ship was my favorite port. And why, right? Why? Because there's not that great an internet, because you play board games, because you're in each other's cabins, because you're going to class together, you're eating together. It is a very unique type of campus environment that bonds people for life. Not too long ago, I visited some alumni down in Southern California and met with a gentleman who in 1970 met his wife on a voyage. And in their wedding ceremony, a few years after the voyage, they had four people from that voyage with them and they are lifelong friends today. Aww. And we can go through each voyage and talk about how they have formed lifelong friends like they'd never have had before from that voyage experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good. I mean, I think community and, you know, you've just said so many things that are so relevant for today. And also again, for the future of where we're headed, where it's like empathy, um, the cognitive flexibility, and then this connection piece is so critical and we're missing it so deeply, I think with COVID and just in general, I think it's just young people too. And I know that semester it sees more than just for, for young people, but it's just so important um, for us today. The other thing too, that I saw kind of consistently on the website was this like adventure and curiosity. Those, those stood out to me. It's just embedded in this model of, you know, going on a voyage and exploring the world and also learning at the same time. Um, yeah, adventure and curiosity. Uh, like, I think that that's something that students are craving deeply, uh, but there's not a whole lot of experiences that feel adventure when, when you think about curiosity, it, even though those two for me seem very, very connected, <laughs> but I love how it's explicitly connected here in Semester at Sea. Yeah, and I would call it safe adventure, right? That is that mm. we're not talking about people marching across the Antarctic uh, with two other people. This isn't high risk. This is adventure with colleagues and you can go taste the food, listen to the music, talk to those who live and work in this new place. You can adventure in a way that stretches you within boundaries and that is a wonderful part of this type of experience. I think curiosity, again, like courage, is in all of us if we unleash it. Mm -hmm. I understand why in today's world, we might be more guarded around our own curiosity, but once unleashed, it is, like courage, tremendously empowering mm -hmm. that we suddenly have that fire to never stop learning, to never stop moving and understanding. So a study abroad experience 
is absolutely a way to spark that curiosity. And as I explained with semester C, I would say there's maybe no better way to spark that curiosity and empower that courage than a semester abroad that takes you to multiple environments for four to six days at a time, allows you to come back to a safe place, the ship, reflect, discuss, learn, and then go do that again because your curiosity can never be latent. It can never be <laughs> hidden. You're, you're forced into trying to understand this new environment and then another new environment and another new environment. Unfortunately, you have the time to come back and really think about what that new environment met, meant. Um, and that, again, that's the power and the model that we, that we deliver. Mm -hmm. So good. Um, I'm curious, kind of based on your background. So I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and just seeing that you've, you have some experience within education, within business, um, sustainability and, um, social entrepreneurship. Um, how do you, or have you seen students build kind of skills that would help them in those types of fields as well? Uh, you know, I'm kind of just thinking about some, you know, that I'm thinking about, but, um, but yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, I can give you a, a few examples, actually. I met recently with an alumna in Seattle. She works for the Gates Foundation. She sailed about 12 years ago, and she said very clearly, semester at seas would inspired her to seek a job with an organization like the Gates Foundation because to, every day she shows up to work now, she feels like she's part of an organization that's trying to solve world problems. Mm. And that was inspired by her semester at sea experience. Give you another example. One of our alums is Sky Fitzgerald. Sky Fitzgerald recently completed a trilogy of documentaries. They are extraordinarily powerful. They're looking at migration due to conflict. They're centered in Syria, Libya, and Yemen. And he talks today about how Semester C gave him this sense of empathy and service that really pushed him to do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of examples of this type of inspiration that comes from that semester experience. Another alum created a nonprofit called Pencils for Promise, which- I heard of this, yes. Yeah, which builds schools yeah. in other countries and equips them with the instructional tools to, to be successful in those environments. So we have a long list of alum who have moved through the semester sea voyage mm -hmm. and left with a greater sense of purpose about how they can contribute to solving some of these seemingly mm -hmm. intractable, intractable problems. Yeah, and it's like probably not one of us is going to solve any of those problems, but if we can all attack it in small ways, right? It can add up into big and have those big impacts. And some of these organizations and people are having huge impacts, but, but it's just like, it's a, it's a huge problem. So we need everybody who wants to solve that problem to be on board. And that's one of the reasons why I did this podcast too, is because I want students to do that. To, and, and I think, you know, a lot of us see those problems, but sometimes we think that they're, they're kind of far away too, or you might hear about a problem or an issue, but when you experience it firsthand or you see struggle um, and you can't turn away, right? Because you're like, wow, this is not okay. That doesn't leave you. <laughs> you're absolutely right. And the, one of the points you made here, I think I want to enforce, and that is 
no one can solve any big problem on their own. That's that's a, a terrific aspiration, but not practical, right? It's how do we go look at the world and then find a contribution we can make? And interestingly enough, I think that's what happened for me in my career where living in Japan, leading study abroad, doing my PhD, I saw fundamentally an issue with a lack of trust and understanding between cultures. Mm. And I knew I wasn't going to solve that. That's been an issue since humanity existed. <laughs> so, and it will continue on after my life. But that's where I wanted to spend my time. And so my PhD was in that area. I led study abroad when, uh, when I was a faculty member. And obviously, I'm now at semester C because mm -hmm. that is my purpose. I have a purpose, and it is to connect people across the world to the extent that I can be part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're really cultivating our experiences where people can do that. And, and you've done that kind of throughout, it's been like a through line through your education. So Aaron, that's really, that's a really cool perspective. And it's sometimes hard to, you know, we kind of stumble into it, but we don't really, if we're following our curiosity, it's like, it it's coming or we're following that, that trust of, I need to do this, even though I'm scared or I don't know why <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah. Love that. Um, one of the things that I saw on your LinkedIn too, was there's a presentation that, that was titled my lifelong commitment to reducing my intercultural incompetence. And so I loved number one, that name, because usually when we talk about intercultural competence, we're talking about it as like, we're aspiring to have intercultural competence, but I love how you kind of flipped it on its head to talk about, you know, reducing my intercultural incompetence. So you're already kind of owning, I have incompetence in this area, but I'm striving to make it better, right. To reduce that, that, um, so I would love to just share, can you share just a little bit more about what you've learned as you've been pursuing, um, yeah, understanding culture. Yeah, there's so many ways to try to describe that. I can give simple examples of the time I lived in Japan and then after where I just missed stuff. I just mm. missed it. I was ethnocentric, didn't want to be, didn't think I was, didn't even understand what ethnocentrism meant, but there's no doubt I was. I just missed things. And even today, as someone who has traveled to many countries, lived, taught, traveled, I know that I still will struggle with that. And the core reason is because I'm human. And as a human, I will have biases that are developed as a consequence of how I was raised and how I live today. So it's my obligation in my role, but also as a member of the global community to try to always understand that as a human, I will have these biases. And how do I overcome those in my daily work and when I travel abroad? Mm -hmm. Understand that others that you meet will also have biases. And so we, we, you know, that awareness is the first step and understanding how that can complicate, but also enrich our interactions. So it is a lifelong journey to yeah. deal with our, with, with our cultural incompetence is a lifelong journey. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. 
I really appreciate you saying that. And, um, for listeners who don't know, could, do you, ha- can you share just quickly what ethnocentric, what does that mean to you or what have you learned for that to mean to you? Yeah. Ethnocentric. So at ethno being ethnic and then central being central being, you know, singular. Um, so ethnocentric would mean that I take on the world as if my views of the world are the only views or the right views. And therefore, I would interpret corruption or business protocols or how we eat, when we eat, uh, what we drink, when we drink, all from my perspective and judge others as somehow different and even in cases, other cases wrong from, from our view. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so good. And I think, you know, um, so, um, I'm interviewing Scott on zoom right now, so we're on video, but you're just listening to this, but he has a map behind him. And so I'm looking at your map and I have a map as well that I kind of got passed down and the, you know, the United States, North America is like right in the center, right? (laughs) That's to me, that's like a, a practical example of what it means to be ethnocentric, right? It means that because I bought it in the U.S., but yours is not, and that's so I, I was like, I, I was like, oh yes, I really appreciated that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, that for a map, that's one of my favorites because it provides better scale of country size. Oh, that's another one. Yes, it's so right? true. That kind of projection map is better than a total flat Mercator projection map because it gives scale. So many people don't understand that the African continent is the second largest continent in the world. And it is enormously diverse. That's just one illustration, right? And you're absolutely right that maps traditionally, particularly those produced in the Western world, have presented ethnocentric viewpoints. What country is in the center? What's the scale? Absolutely. I One of my more interesting maps that I have at my office actually flips north and south. If you think about it historically, there's a reason why the North Pole, as we currently present it, is called the North Pole and not the South Pole. And that's just historical. Actually, if history had unfolded much differently, then we might actually say, I know this is kind of mind-blowing and hard to imagine, but we might be saying, actually, those folks who live in Malaysia and New Zealand are in the Northern Hemisphere. Hmm. I know it's hard to imagine again, but there's no geological reason. There's just a human historical reason why that's the way it's presented. Yeah. Oh, so good. And I know too, that there's, um, I have an international audience. So there's students who are from all over the world, listening to this podcast who either come to the United States to, uh, travel or to, um, study, or, um, they're actually studying in their country and they just have stumbled upon the podcast. But, uh, yeah. So I know that one of the things that I was, I was looking at whenever I was prepping for this conversation was I saw that you do have international students who also come to um, and, and participate in semester at sea. So that is a potential. Um, I'm curious um, what those students have experienced being that this is, you know, obviously a US-based organization. There's probably more people who come from the US to go to these things, but what has the international student experience been like? So we have about 80 to 85% 
from the US. So it is predominantly US and it is based on US higher education system. As you referenced very early, we are in partnership with Colorado State University. So all courses all that we offer on a voyage are Colorado State University courses. And if you think about it, that means that the credit hours and the textbook and the syllabuses, all of that are structured based on the US system. Mm-hmm. And the international students we get oftentimes appreciate that they're coming into an environment that is giving them the experience of a U.S. system without having to actually move to the U.S. and go into an uh, institution here. And the international students add extraordinary richness to our voyage. Obviously, we're taking all of these students to many countries. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like a student from Germany or China or Indonesia breaking the frame of the U.S. students who do come from the U.S. and perhaps have a bit of an ethnocentric perspective and these international students really being courageous and clear that the world is big and phenomenally diverse. So the way you're thinking, Mr. or Mrs. U.S. student, is not the way a lot of the rest of the world thinks. And that is an extraordinarily rich part of, of the Semester at Sea program. You know, and we, um, we would love for more international students to come. And we do sometimes find challenges because semesters can be offset, where semesters in the US end in December, some international semesters end in January. Uh, we do have success getting students on the fall voyage internationally because they can be back in time. Uh, But it's a little tougher for us to get them on spring voyage because their second semester would start in January or, you know, February or March or something. So that can be a challenge at times. Uh, But I strongly encourage any student who's listening to this in the U.S. or in any other country to to talk to our advisors because we do get Mm -hmm. you on the ship. You do have an extraordinary experience. And you just like everybody else who's gone on the voyage will say that was it. That was awesome. Yeah. What are the main hesitancies that you've seen with students who are like, I really want to do this, but I'm kind of nervous or scared. Like what is, what's holding them back from maybe trying to go to this and, and participate? So number one, they will very frankly, they'll look at the price and say, that's not achievable and certainly understand that what we, what we do position this as is a premium semester abroad. It's not inexpensive. Mm-hmm. It is expensive to run a ship. So there is a reason why it is not uh, low cost. But I would say that, again, you just need to talk to your advisor on campus and your advisor in semester C because we do find ways to get students with lower household income onto the ship. For example, if a student is getting a Pell Grant at their institution now, we match their Pell Grant. We find a way to get them on the ship. We have ourselves financial aid and scholarships available. And of course, they have them back at their home institution. So students do find a way to do this. Mm-hmm. So I would say that is probably the first thing that happens is they look at the price and they're like, well, no, I can't do that. My answer is you can't. You can because it's been done and we'll ensure that it gets done in the future. Mm-hmm. Probably the, the second reason people may hesitate is particularly for fall semester, they're thinking, gosh, uh, 
do I want to miss football season or do I want to miss Greek rush or whatever might be going on during the fall part of a school year. And I can tell you people who have gone in the fall semester come back, not regretting anything they missed. So right. it's all again, thinking about tomorrow. What is tomorrow supposed to bring uh, beyond today? Mm -hmm. And there will be no regrets by leaving campus for that period of time. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely believe that for sure. And just going back to the financial piece too, I think one of the things that I was really surprised at when I was kind of just looking at the website was how many partnerships that you all have with colleges. And then some of those colleges have financial resources to actually help you do this specifically at semester at C. So that's a really cool thing. So it's always important, just like all the things that we talk about on the podcast, you got to find out, you have to find out for yourself if it's possible. And again, that's something that I didn't do. I was literally the same thing. Um, I was looking at study abroad opportunities when I was at Florida state, I saw like, you know, $9,000. And at the time that's that, I mean, that's still a lot of money, but it's a, it was, it looked like a lot of money at the time. And I was like, wow, there's no way that I can do this. I remember shutting the book, putting it back on the shelf and walking, you know, to my next class or whatever it was. And, um, yeah, so I think that's the one thing you have to find out if this is possible for you. If you, if you're interested, just go ask, start on your campus, see if they have any contacts with semester at C. If not, you can always go through their website and get connected that way. Um, but just find out if it's possible. And then if it's not, then of course, let's look at other options. Um, but always find out if this is something that you're interested in, um, definitely look into it. Awesome. Well, um, Scott, anything else that you think would be helpful for a student to know about um, semester at sea or just like, you know, in their college experience? Well, Alicia, you addressed this so well in your podcast. I just want to enforce the importance of what you help people think about. And that is really understand and be willing to risk listening to that inner voice. Hmm. If you do that, you will never look back and think, darn, that wasn't the right thing. Uh, you will really reflect positively on that decision. And study abroad is one of those things, just as you shared, feels like a risk. It feels like a risk financially. It feels like a risk academically. It feels like a risk socially. But it is such a rewarding part of someone's college experience. When someone looks back five years from that experience, they don't think about that extra $3,000 of student loan or whatever it might've been. They think that was awesome. I'm so glad I have these amazing friends. I'm so glad that I was transformed. I'm so glad that I'm connected still to Semester C through their alumni network. They just won't look back on whatever additional resources or time away that that required. Um, and indeed, if semester C doesn't seem to fit for someone for one reason or another, look at other study abroad opportunities. Get yourself overseas. Um, and if that's not going to work, then look at some other experiential learning opportunity. Find ways to step out of the classroom for some period of time and push yourself beyond those limits. Mm -hmm. Yes. So good. Well, where can people find you? How can people get connected or learn more about Semester at Sea? 
So thanks for asking, Alicia. We are all on all the social media, semesteratsea.org. Semesteratsea.org is our website. We have Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. All the things. <laughs> all the things, Semester at Sea. I myself am not active on social media except for LinkedIn, which you referenced. So if someone wants to reach out to me directly, they can do that through LinkedIn. Or of course, they can go to our website. They find me there and my email address is on that website. So I look forward to being in touch with anybody. Awesome. And I just feel like I have to ask this since, um, you know, I, this is more majority of college students, but do you have any internships or anything? At the Institute where we run the program. So occasionally we do, we just had an internship with a grad student looking at how to best support transgender students. Uh, Terrific, bright person really helping us explore that in terms of the shipboard community. And so occasionally it might be a grad student who's focused on a special project. And so occasionally, yeah, there's a special need. We don't necessarily post an internship on like Mm -hmm. a rotating basis. Okay. But if someone has something that they'd like to reach out to us, they have an interest, please. Like pitch the idea again, find out if it might be a mutual interest. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much, Scott. Um, I'm sure we'll stay connected, um, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Alicia. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the College Life Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you are subscribed so you don't miss the next episode and that you also tell your friends so that they can benefit from this podcast as well. Also, if you're interested in coming on the podcast, I would love to brainstorm with you to really help you figure out how to make college your own and really help you reach your goals. So if you want to come on the show, check out the link in the show notes and there's a really quick survey that you just fill out and then you'll be eligible to potentially be a guest on the podcast and I would love to help you out. Thank you all so much for listening to the College Life Podcast and I will catch you in the next episode. Have an excellent week.